Well, last week we talked about no more compromising our integrity. It's interesting that on, uh, that was Wednesday night, on Thursday I got word of a good friend of mine who's been in ministry for quite a few years, and well, I'll just say his integrity is, is lost. And it's one of those things that when I got the call from another friend of mine said, hey, I just need you to be praying, we're walking through this together, I was just reminded that the devil is after all of us. And he is coming after us with everything he's got. And tonight, Jason's going to talk about no more weak leadership. And I love that we've got Jason leading it tonight because he leads up a lot of leadership things going on here at Bellevue from our ministerial assistant program to full-time staffing. He worked, he's in office, with Office of the Pastor and, and, uh, and, and sees leadership from a high level here at Bellevue. And I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for the way he leads his family. We live in the same neighborhood. I get to watch him lead his family and, and watch him raise his kids. And so I know we're in for a treat tonight to hear him speak on no more weak leadership, especially as men. But what I want to do is just ask you a question, have you talk about it at your table for just a few minutes and kind of tie last week into this week. And so here's the question. How does integrity impact leadership? How does integrity impact leadership? Do leaders need integrity? I think we would all probably say yes. But do we expect guys and ladies that are in leadership to have different integrity, higher integrity? How does it impact that? And then if you say, if you answer the question that yes, they need to have higher integrity, I want you to pair that with this thought. You may say, well, I'm kind of low man on the totem pole at my job. That's okay. You, you live in a house. Uh, you, you, you have leadership somewhere with your family, uh, with friends. Maybe you just coach a little league team. You, you've got leadership. Some way we're leading people. And so how does integrity impact leadership? Take a few minutes, discuss it at your tables, and then Jason will come and lead us. All righty. Well, good evening to you guys. I heard you talking a little bit at your tables. It's dying down, so we'll get started. If I don't know you, my name's Jason, and I'm glad to be with you. Derek said some nice things, but it's good to be with you. I love being with this group of guys, and uh, thanks for being here and being faithful to, to show up. You've been hearing some great things. Uh, last week, you talked about integrity. So you have this question that's on the screens, how does integrity impact leadership? Y'all, y'all tell me some of your answers. Let's kind of get this conversation going a little bit. What are some things you talked about at your table? Just scream it out loud. It's a trickle-down effect. Yes, absolutely. Trickle-down effect. Foundation, that's right. Character, integrity, it's a foundation. Somebody over here said something? Reputation, that's right. When that integrity crumbles, it's hard to recover. Anything else? Effectiveness, that's right. Which uh, there's, a, there's trust involved in that, right, um, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. So glad you're in here again. Absolutely. All of this matters. So we're talking about leadership tonight. We're talking about no more weak leadership. And weak leadership uh, can come a lot of times from lack of integrity. We're going to talk about some other ways that weak leadership uh, is seen and what do we do about it. I'm going to take you all the way back to the very beginning when we think about creation. And I know... I don't know every one of you, but most of you in here probably know the story of creation. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but let me just paint the picture for you. God 
spends six days creating everything, and after each day, it's good, it's perfect, and the God creator has done all that he wants to do each of those days. He also, within those days, says that uh, he wants to create man, and he creates man. And we know that Adam comes onto the scene, and great things are happening, already have happened, and more is about to happen that's going to be even greater. And one of the things that God does, not soon after, is he creates woman so that man won't be alone. Creates man, and then he creates woman. And he puts them in the Garden of Eden. They have everything they need, all the plants, all the fruits, all the animals have been created, everything. It gives them a place to farm, gives them everything that they're going to need. And he says, you can have all of this that you want, except don't eat from this tree right here. Satan comes along when God's not around, which doesn't make sense because, of course, God is there. But Satan comes along and he says, hey, what are y'all doing? They said, we can have everything we want here. And Eve says, we can't eat from that tree. And Satan says, you know you'll be fine. You can eat from that tree. Obviously, there's something really good there. You want to eat from that tree. So they eat from the tree. As soon as they eat from the tree, as soon as Eve eats from the tree, what do they do? They realize they're naked. They realize that something's wrong. And so it's that they make fig leaves and clothes for themselves. And then after all of that happens, along comes the Lord. And it says, when the Lord comes onto the scene, that what do they do? They hide. They hide from the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. This is what it says. And God said to Adam, where are you? Now we know, you've heard it all before probably, of course God knew where Adam was. This is a much bigger question than physically, where are you, Adam? But he does say to him, where are you? And I think that's a great question. I won't have you answer this at your tables quite yet. But just real quickly, as individual men in this room, when we're talking about no more weak leadership, that's my question for you. Where are you? When it comes to your leadership, some of you would say, I don't want to be a leader. But I would, I would contend in all of us, we want to lead in some way. Your, whether it's your family, at your job, with your friends, be the best at something you want to lead in some kind of way. And so as we get started tonight, where are you? Where are you in your leadership of your spouse, of your kids, of your employees, of your friends, of non-believers? Where are you? That's a good just evaluating question for you. Now what we see with Adam is, is that if you really think about it, Adam did not sin. Adam, Eve did. It was Eve. But the first thing that I want us to remember here is this. You're responsible. As a leader, you're responsible even if you're not to blame. Adam technically was not to blame. And he says that. That woman made me do this. He was still responsible. He was created. And we see all throughout Scripture that the man is to be the spiritual leader, is to be the leader. So even though he wasn't to blame, he was responsible. For each of us in this room, that is the case. There are going to be things that other people that you're connecting to, 
Other people, it could be, once again, your spouse, it could be friends, co-workers, that they are the ones that make a mistake, that do the wrong thing. But you are the leader. You are responsible, even if you are not to blame. And a weak leader passes blame. A strong leader takes responsibility. And you're going to have to take responsibility when something under your care falls apart. Look at this. At the end of the day, the culture will, re- will depend on the family, and the family will depend on the man. Now, I know not all of you in this room maybe are not married or you don't have children. Uh, that's fine. In your whatever it is, as a follower of Christ, right, the culture is going to depend on a family unit, and the family unit is going to depend on the man. All of you have a role to play, no matter what your stage in life is, no matter what your future looks like, you have a role to play as a man of God, just as Adam did. So as the culture goes, or as the family goes, is because of, so goes the culture. And as the man goes, so goes the family. I like football a little bit. Uh, I'm not here to debate college or NFL, and I know some people are anti-NFL, and I get that. I just know it. I watch enough football to be a little bit dangerous. But one of the things that's really unique is what happens at the end of the college and NFL seasons. There's something that always takes place all across the board, and it's that coaches get fired. It's, it's unbelievable. I think, I didn't do the research, but I think out of 32 teams in the NFL, maybe 13 coaches got fired. I could be wrong. It could be 10. Between 10 and 13 coaches got fired at the end of the season. Why? Because their teams were bad. Now, out of all those coaches, a lot of those coaches will get head coaching jobs at other places. They're they're coaching somewhere this year as a head coach. Why? If they were so bad that they need to get fired, then why are they a head coach again? And on the other hand, you have some coaches that they coached for years and they were so good, but they had a couple of bad years and they got fired. Why? Because... The team did poorly. And so they're looking at, the owners and everybody else are looking at, well, if the team did poorly, it must mean because the group of coaches did poorly. And the group of coaches must have done poorly because the head coach did poorly. It all goes back to a person. The coach in those NFL teams or college football teams. I'm a Memphis fan. We don't lose a lot of coaches because they're bad. We lose a lot of coaches because they're good, right? And, and that's okay. We'll just get the next one that'll be great somewhere else. But a lot of these college teams as well, they lose these coaches that are really good somewhere else, but they can't handle it at their new place. And maybe it's not them. Maybe the talent isn't that good. Maybe they can't get the recruits everybody else can get. Maybe he can't pay the assistant coaches like everybody else can play. It's still at the end of the day comes down to that head coach. The same is true for us as men when it comes to our leadership. It is not somebody else's responsibility to make us look good or to do the job. It is your responsibility. It comes down to you. And so as you go as the leader, so goes your family or so goes your employees or so goes your team or so goes whatever group it is that you're a part of that the Lord's called you to, to be a part of and to lead. So I want to take it back to your tables for a couple of questions as we get started tonight. Here are the two questions I want you to look at. First of all, we just talked about Adam. Why did God look for Adam even though it was Eve who ate the first fruit? And then getting it down practically for you, in what ways are leaders accountable for the people under their care and supervision? Talk about it at your tables. We'll get a few answers in a few minutes.
All righty. Let's hear a couple of your answers. In what ways are leaders accountable for the people under their care and supervision? Give me a couple. That's right. The vision and the what? Direction. That's right. Vision and direction. They're responsible for that. They're held accountable for that. What else? That's right. Training and tools to be successful. Yeah. Execution. Standard of performance. And I don't want you to hear all these and just think, oh, that would be good in my job. Uh, This is good in the home, what we're talking about here. Do you have a vision for your family? Go ahead. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. It goes back to it, right? The leader is responsible for group of leaders who are responsible for the culture. That's right. Anything else? Yes, sir. Say it one more time. That's right. Yes. I heard y'all talking about that too. That's good. You have all of these different ways that you are accountable uh, for the people under your care and supervision. Once again, whatever context that is for you. So let's talk about three areas that can, if we misunderstand or get these uh, out of whack, then our leadership becomes weak leadership. The first one is this, is identity. Identity, right? And we could stay on this a long time. I even heard a couple of tables talking about it. There's no doubt that in our society, there, is, there are large groups of people, specifically men, that are losing their identity. When we have such what some believe these good academic conversations about gender and a man, y'all know we've lost our way. We, we, obviously, we've lost our way in a lot of ways. We don't even know how to identify what a man is, or the society doesn't. We do, but society doesn't as a whole. And so identity is important for us as men, as leaders, to know who we are. And so who are we, right? Uh, we know that Satan seeks uh, to destroy the idea of who a man is. Is. It says in John chapter 10 that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the flip side of that, the back side of that verse is, is that he, Jesus, has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. So really important for all of us to understand before we move any further. As men of God, understand how much God loves you. And that is so cliche and so spiritual to say, but you cannot go past that. Just as God looked on Adam and said, this is good. He looks on you, and he loves you. It is good what he has done. That is the beginning of your identity. And so I I would want you to write that down if you're writing things down. Your identity is first and foremost in Christ. It is not you as the hard worker, you as the dad, you as the good friend, you as the funny guy, you as whatever. Your identity is first and foremost in Christ. Christ. And Christ desires intimacy with you. And intimacy is a word we can perk up on, but it has to start with our love relationship with the Lord and his love relationship with us. Your identity as a follower of Jesus is in Christ. And that ought to be freedom. That ought to take off a little bit of the burden from all of us in this room to know that our identity is in Christ first and foremost. This is what it says about when we talk about intimacy with Jesus. Understand this whole hierarchy here. It says, but I want you to understand, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ 
is God. There's a chain of command that we see here. When we're talking about who you are, you are in Christ, and it says that as you are in Christ, then you are the head of your wife, right? All understanding that Christ, uh, the head of Christ is God. There's a hierarchy for us all to understand, and you can't be upset about the lack of people following you or how your spouse won't follow you or how your kids won't follow you as a leader if you do not understand that you are up under Christ himself. If you don't understand his love for you and his authority and his leadership of you, then you can't lead those that he's put under you. It has to be done in the right order. So the first thing is you have to understand that who you are, your identity. The second thing is this, is responsibility. Weak leadership is lack of responsibility. You have been given responsibility. In Ezekiel chapter 22, you have the prophet Ezekiel that's talking to the people of Israel. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but it's just on and on and on about how bad they are. Debauchery, um, selfishness, all the things. And the prophet Ezekiel, who starts out every part of this chapter, about every four verses of the chapter, he says, and the Lord said. He's prophesying what the Lord has said to him. And he was believed and trusted. And he says, the Lord said. So this is the Lord over and over again. And listen to what he says. Look what he says there in verse 30. This is the Lord speaking through Ezekiel. He says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, do you think that that means that in all of that land there were physically no men there? Absolutely not. It means that among all those people he was looking at, some of them that were males were not acting like men. He found no one that would stand in the gap. You have a responsibility as a man and as a leader. The hierarchy we just looked at, we are under Christ and then others are under us. And that's not just a badge for us to wear. That is a responsibility for us to carry in any context that we're in. But he says he could not find anyone who would lead. He would not find anyone who would stand in the gap. So it's possible to be a male by gender, but not a man by responsibility or by leadership or by function. So are you a male in here or are you a man in here? Right? I would encourage you in that. And I am not at all, it has nothing to do with how much you can bench press or how many kids you've produced or anything like that. It has everything to do, do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand the position that he has put you in and the responsibility that he asks you to carry? Once again, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. You see this again right here. That's your responsibility. And then the last piece is this. Not only do you have to know who you are and, and look at your identity as a man, not only do you have to look at your responsibility as a man, but finally look at the authority that you've been given. The authority that you've been given. I told you about Adam. Um, Let's read that together for you. I'm going to go to this right here. It says this, right before Genesis chapter 3, before Eve comes onto the scene. 
This is what God tells Adam. Go out, go out now out of the ground. The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, the man being Adam. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So you get to take what God brings, assign to it meaning and identity and a destiny. You get to exercise kingdom authority by the king's permission. That's what Adam got to do. I've done this. God says, I've done this. I've created this. And with all of this that I've created, I'm going to give you the authority to name them. And we call them today what we call them in some cases because of what Adam named them that day. That was the authority that Adam was given as he followed God, as he listened to God. As a man, you have the authority that's given to you by Christ himself. That's an encouraging thing uh, for you to be able to uh, take on. But we talked about that word accountability. You have first have to accept the accountability to be under God. So identity, responsibility, authority. You all want these things. You want to be known for something good, something that matters. None of you set out today going, I want to be a piece of trash today. You all wanted to have significance in some kind of way. Not for yourself necessarily, for the Lord, but you have an identity that says, I know that guy, and this is his reputation, and this is his character. That's what you set out for today. And you should be somebody that wants to take on responsibility, that takes responsibility of what's been given to you, and then also to exercise authority. And this is the one that can really trip us up. Because we can look at authority as a position, right? Instead of just one of our responsibilities. And we cannot be over what we're supposed to be over till we're under what we're supposed to be under. Take you back to 1 Corinthians 11. Christ is the head of us. That is our authority. And then as we understand that authority, then he gives us authority to be over our wife out of 1 Corinthians 11. Out of others that don't know the Lord. Out of whatever your context is, again. But you have to look at it through the right framework. So, um, every man is to be under divine authority. And when we rebel against that, your world's going to collapse. When we are not under the divine authority, then we start working out of our own giftings, our own personality, our own whatever we have within us on our own. And we just think, we got this. And when we do that, we, we're out from under God's authority. And then things are going to collapse a little bit. You talked about last week about integrity. We talked today about what that can do to your reputation, um, effectiveness, lack of vision. That all comes when we get out from under authority of the Lord. So I'm going to turn it back to your tables one more time, or actually next to last time. A couple of questions for you here. What does submitting to Christ look like in practical everyday actions for you. So you can talk a long time about that. And then also describe some ways that men can live as strong leaders in your homes and churches and communities. Talk about that. And then we're going to come back and finish up with some negative outcomes of weak leadership. Okay, go ahead. All right. Let's hear a few answers from that first question. What does submitting to Christ look like in practical everyday actions? What does it look like to submit to Christ in practical everyday actions? That's right, serving others, 
That's right. Putting others before yourself. What else? Love. That's right. Humility. Patience. Willing. Yeah, that's right. Having a willingness. That's right. Yes, sir. That's right. Submit to Christ on the job every day. That's right. That's right. Servant leadership. That's right. Yeah, servant doesn't mean that you can't uh, even be in charge, for sure. That's right. That's right. I forgot who says that there's a famous, just do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. That's right. These are all good. Let's talk about uh, just some negative outcomes of weak leadership. I'm going to tie it all together, give you one more table talk, and then uh, we're going to be finished up here. But just uh, as a reminder to you, if we really believe the Word of God, and I believe that you do or you wouldn't be here, at least you're checking it out, but understand if God says these things that are true about us being under His authority— that we are to be under his authority, that he is the head of us and that we are head of our wives and, uh, and that you know, God is the, the head of Christ. If we believe that to be true and if we read in scripture where it talks about how we are to work and how we are to lead our families and how we are to be a friend, all these things, then it's no different. When we don't do those things, then that's sin. Just like some of the other things would be easy for us to name here that are sin. So these are not just negative outcomes, like life is going to be bad for you. These, this is sin that is separating you from the life that God has for you. It's forgivable, just like a lot of sin in the Bible, if we understand our need for forgiveness. But this, it's sin for us to have weak leadership, to not take responsibility, to not exercise authority or be under authority, to not know who we are in Christ, to not be led by the Lord. So what are the negative outcomes? It goes way beyond just um, weak leadership. This is what it says, just as a reminder about sin. It says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Put that into context of whatever leadership relationship that you're supposed to be in whoever you're supposed to be leading. When we don't do this, we're lured and enticed by our own desires. I got this, I'm tired, I've done this and they haven't followed, whatever the case is. Then that desire, it, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. So then we act on it, we go, forget it, I'm done. I'm not leading her anymore. Or he's just not leadable. Or it's up to him, he won't get up under my authority, that's on him. And then when it's fully grown, it gives forth death. And in this case, it, leads, it breeds ineffectiveness. It breeds a termination in that relationship in some regards. So, three different ways that we have negative outcomes from our weak leadership and from our sin. First of all is spiritual separation. Spiritual separation. The Word of God says this, I choose this instead. That is separation from our spiritual authority. He wants intimacy with us, yet we won't listen to what he has to say to us. That is separation. Some of you might be thinking of relationships where you know you're supposed to be leading, and you're not. That is, it's redeemable, but it's first got to be looked at as something that needs to be repaired, and that you have a problem. 
that you need to do something about. And it's forgivable. It can be repaired, but it has to start with understanding that there is a spiritual separation because you're not doing what God's called you to do. And this is, maybe you don't take this as hard at all, but if you are taking it with a heavy heart or you're thinking, my goodness, you know, back up. This is just sin. It's sin for all of us. And we fail in these areas. And when we fail, we need to be willing to understand that there is separation that needs to be dealt with. There's a separation, first, of us not being under the authority of God, where that hierarchy begins. And it says this, and yes, this is about salvation, but it goes way beyond that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So for some of you, um, there's somebody that you need to go to the Lord about and say, I have not led this person well. Lord, forgive me for this. Restore what needs to be restored. But it needs to start with you coming to understand that he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of that. Not only is there spiritual separation, but there's an emotional separation. Our weak leadership, which is sin, our weak leadership um, turns towards or produces emotional separation. Right? Think about different relationships, just very practically speaking, whether it's a coworker or a family member or whatever. When you are not leading like you're supposed to lead, don't you just feel like sometimes you're just hitting your head against a brick wall? You're trying to lead, but you're, not, you're doing it out of your own power. You're doing it um, without the Lord, without being under his authority, but you're trying to lead them. And you, you feel like there's just this, every time I say something to them, we're going to argue. Every time I say, they're going to ask me why. It's so hard for me not to think about three teenage kids right now, right? All these things that they say. And what happens is, is if you just go, because I'm this, because I'm in charge, because I'm the authority. You are, you are, you are. But are you up under the authority of the Lord in what you're doing? Are you connected to the Lord in that? And if not, then we're operating out of our own being, And then what happens is this emotional separation takes place. You find yourself going home and just being quieter instead of trying to step up and lead and say, this is what we're going to do tonight, or this is how we're going to be in the Word together, or this is whatever whatever the case is, or at work, this is how we're going to respond to people. You just, after a while, you feel beat down. You think the world's against you, and you just emotionally disconnect. You get quieter, you get more somber, you don't you're not as verbal with people, you don't lead them well, you just kind of do, you just get on your track and do your thing. Weak leadership breeds emotional separation, just like sin can do. But there's hope. It's this, 1 Peter 5.10. Know this, this is what Christ says. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, all right, I'm in this weak leadership, which is sin. I'm confessing that, Lord, not to check a box. I really mean this. I'm really understanding. I recognize that my identity is in you. I recognize I have a responsibility. I recognize you have given me authority. I confess that I have not been using that like I'm supposed to use that. Forgive me of this. Help me to learn and grow in this. And then... He will come along and restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You can be reestablished. Some of you have spouses who say, why will you not spiritually lead us? Why do I have to be the one to do this? 
and you feel so defeated. You feel like, I have, I have lost my chance. That is not true. You have the opportunity to be the spiritual leader. You are called to be the spiritual leader in your family. You have cut a corner at work. People saw you lack integrity. They see your character in question. They don't trust you like they used to. And you think, this is it. I've, I've hit my lid now. That is not true. You might have to fight for it a little bit longer, but it does not have to be that way. He can restore it. The last thing is this, is that it leads to relational separation. So our sin, our weak leadership, leads to emotion, or excuse me, relational separation. I think I've already explained this enough, but just know that your weak leadership is going to create more of a physical chasm as much as it is an emotional chasm and a spiritual chasm. Um, relationally, you're going to fall out of relationship with people that used to love the way that you led them. Um, a spouse who fell in love with you because of the way that they saw that you could lead. And maybe that's diminished over time, and it just leads to this relational separation. And she's in her lane, and you're in your lane. And you think, maybe we can just, maybe our lanes can stay close enough. That's not, that's not how God's created it. You're to be in the same lane with you out in front leading her or leading your children or leading your team. But it can lead to relational separation. So what do we do about this? Well, as you have confessed this to the Lord, ask for forgiveness from the Lord. Once again, you're taking on the responsibility. You know who you are in Christ. You have your identity. You're up under his authority and you're exercising authority that he's giving you. So that spiritual separation is closing and it's coming back together. You and the Lord are walking together. Your confidence is in him, not in what the person says about you. It's in him. And then that emotional separation begins to come together and that, that chasm is narrowed for sure. And you begin to see that there is light in this and that the Lord can lead you and that he can use you and that you can have relationship again with your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your friends or your schoolmates or whatever it is. And then what happens is as those things come together and you're walking with the Lord and emotionally you're getting connected, then relationally, physically, you're coming together again. It's a long haul, but it can happen. And I encourage you. How do you do that? You be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I, I have no idea if any of this applies to any of one of you in the room. I would have to think in a, in a room this size, there's some of you who have, feel like you've blown it with your team at work or you've blown it with your spouse or with your kids. I can only imagine that in this room, some of you are walking through that. Are grandkids that you want a relationship with and something's torn that apart? Whatever it is, it's got to start with, again, who are you? Who, is, who are you, your identity? Are you using and taking responsibility for what God's given you? And then are you up under his authority? As you do that, the Lord can repair and restore. And know that, pray for that. And it won't be easy for some of you because you've done a whole lot 
It's been years. And you're just wondering, can this, can I really gain strong leadership back? I believe the answer is yes. I believe it's yes. Now, I was preparing for this this last week. I got a call from a buddy of mine who works out of state. He leads somebody and says, all right, here's the deal. This guy is the best leader I've ever had on my team. He's incredible. He's grown this, this, and this. His team loves him, yada, yada, yada. His wife walked in and gave divorce papers to him and said she's done. She's moving back to where her parents are. No immorality, no infidelity, no pornography. She says he's a great dad, says that she's a, he's a great guy, but that he's not the spiritual leader of the home. He's more interested in his job than he is his family when it comes down to it. And so my buddy was calling saying, just maybe you've dealt with this before with somebody on your team. What do you do? And so we talked through it. I didn't have any magic answers for him, but it was this. It was a lot of what we talked about here. And, and part of it was you need to help him understand the responsibility he has to be a husband and a father first and help him understand, make sure that he is up under the authority of, of God. That's where it begins. They're going to give him 60 days because he doesn't have to sign divorce papers for 60 days. She can do it without him in 60 days. And so his plan is for 60 days to do nothing but work on the spiritual, emotional, and relational separation that's taking place in his marriage. And somewhat with his kids. They're a little younger. That's probably the story of some of you in here, that your wife says, you're a really great worker. I wish you were as good of a dad as you were a worker. Or I wish you were as great of a husband as you were a teammate. It is not too late. The Lord can restore and establish in you strong leadership. I'm going to take it to your tables one last time, and then Noah's going to finish this out. In what ways might men attempt to hide behind their blessings to give the outward appearance that they're strong spiritual leaders? It might be a hard one for you to answer around the table. And what specific practical steps can you take this week to live according to God's standard of leadership? I'm going to pray for you, and then uh, y'all discuss around your tables, and then Noah will close us out. Lord, thank you for these men. I pray for them. Uh, Lord, I pray that they have fruitful working relationships, fruitful leadership. I pray that they are seen as men of integrity and character. They have strong leadership. I pray that they're strong husbands, strong dads, strong brothers, sons, granddads, friend. I pray that. But Lord, for the, the men in this room, maybe that some of them find themselves in a tough spot. They find themselves maybe where they have been leaning more on their own understanding and on their own giftings. And Lord, it's time for them to come back to you, uh, not in their salvation, but in their leadership. Lord, I pray that just whatever it is that work that you want to do in these men's lives, I pray that that would be done tonight and in, in the week to come. Lord, I pray for them. I thank you for them. I pray that we would be men that know who we are. We'd be men who take responsibility and men who are up under your authority. 
Uh, and Lord, help us to be able to answer that question so clearly. Where are you? Lord, help us to be able to answer that. I am right here, Lord. I am right where you put me. I'm right where you've told me to be. Lord, I pray that for myself and for these men. Pray now for their time around their tables as they discuss. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look around or take a couple minutes at your table to answer these questions. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for, for being here tonight. Uh, thank you, Jason, for walking us through the, uh, the excuses that we, we have when it comes to leadership and challenging us to what God has called us to when it comes to, to leadership. I hope each one of you takes some of these things seriously and the conversations you just had around the table and, and apply it to your life. It's, it's one thing just to come here and to listen and to have these conversations. It's that next level to go home and, and make a change. And, and if you're at a, a, a two and you're trying to get to a 10, you're not going to get to a 10 tonight, but you can get to a, a three this week and you can get to a four. I encourage you to take those incremental steps and continue to press in towards the Lord and to take that next step that he's calling you to take. Hey, just FYI, next week we will not be meeting in here. We will be all meeting in the worship center for a church-wide evangelism training. Our pastor and a couple other staff people are going to be walking through some different methods of evangelism and challenging us to share the gospel. I think we all know that we have the responsibility to share the gospel, but if we're honest with ourselves, we don't do it as much as we think maybe we, we ought to be doing. Brother Steve asked me a question one time that's always stuck with me. He said, when's the last time you led somebody to the Lord, and more importantly, when's the last time you tried? And when you, you think about that question, I know I don't always want to have to have a mic in my hand and answer that question. And for me, uh, I know I'm supposed to do it, but there's a lot of excuses. We're talking here, no more excuses this semester. I, I can give you a hundred excuses for why I shouldn't or can't, or maybe this isn't the right opportunity. When God's not called us to those excuses, God has called us to share the gospel. So next week, we're going to shatter some of those those excuses, and we're just going to offer uh, two or three different tools that you can use to very simply share the gospel with confidence, and it's going to be a great, great opportunity. I want to encourage you guys to, to lead and to invite your, your family and then to make sure you, you bring people that you have influence with and really use next week as an opportunity to rally as a church as we share the, uh, learn how to share the gospel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. God, he's saying that God will orchestrate those opportunities if we're faithful and I would add, add, add on to that is how many people has God already placed in your path even this week that he wanted you to share the gospel with, and maybe we weren't faithful to take those opportunities. So next Wednesday night, 6.30 in the worship center, and the following week we'll be back in here. I'll pray for us. You can stay as long as you want, and we'll dismiss. Lord, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for the, the beautiful weather, and we thank you for just the opportunity to gather with men tonight and to learn more about what your word is calling us to do and what you have called us to do through your word. Lord, we do pray for those in, in Florida in the path of the hurricane. We pray for protection and pray for your uh, just supernatural protection on those people. And Lord, we do also pray for the, even the Southern Baptist disaster relief groups that are st on standby, ready to, to dive in and to meet any needs that are there. I pray that you give them protection and open up opportunities through what is a disaster situation. Lord, I do pray that you'd use those as an opportunity to share the gospel with many people. We thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. We pray you give us a good evening and bring us back next week. Praise in your name. Amen.